Well, if you have a Bible with you, I'm going to encourage you to turn to Psalm 120. Before we read it, I was thinking in, in preparing for this message and thinking about how good it feels to come home. When uh, Sarah and Noah recently, when Noah was sick in, in April and they were down in London, Ontario, there came a point where he was sort of out of ICU and doing better and, you know, the medicine was working and he was kind of on the upswing. And Sarah sort of said to me, I think we're just ready to come home. I'm ready to come home. Noah's ready to come home. Kind of the scary part's over and now we're ready to get back. I was thinking also about moments in my life of coming home. When I was a kid, quite often we go out to Blue Lake in the summer and uh, me and my cousins would just have this awesome day out at the beach swimming and playing and eating lots and going for walks and uh, at the end it seemed like one of those really full days. You know those days that feel like they just kind of go and go and go and they're so good and full of life and I remember getting ready to go home and even though the day was ending oftentimes the cousins would come over after and so there's this sense of kind of coming home together uh, that was just really I just remember that as a kid kind of sticking with me after many years you may think also of of times in your life where you long to come home perhaps uh, when your parents dragged you away as a kid to go see some far-flung relative and you waited and waited and waited for those glorious words, let's get ready to head home. And finally, you were back on your way. But home changes, doesn't it, in our lives? There's something beautiful about going home, but home starts to change as we get older. There was a moment I remember when I was heading to college for the first time, and I remember my mom being quite, just real, quite emotional, just kind of grieving that I was leaving, and I was kind of clued out about it. And uh, it wasn't until later, kind of reflecting on it, that I was, I was realizing mom was recognizing probably earlier than I was that home was starting to change. I wasn't going to be at home. And sooner than later, what I would define as home would start to change as well. As much as that would still be the place I'd go back to where my parents were, uh, it wasn't long that Sarah and I were, were dating and then were engaged and then we were setting up our own home and home fundamentally changed. Home's no longer just where my parents are. Home's where Sarah and the boys are. So we're starting a new sermon series this summer on the Psalms of Ascent. And these Psalms are all about coming home. They're Psalms about coming back to family, about coming back to God. And going home for Israel was always about coming back to Jerusalem. There's many Jews, of course, who lived outside of Jerusalem itself, in Israel, and then around in, in the ancient Near East. And that's why they're called Songs of Ascent, because as you would start to travel home back to Jerusalem, Jerusalem's built on a hilltop, and so you always go up to Jerusalem. And so you would ascend as pilgrims on your way back home. And Israel would gather itself three times for special festivals every year. You're expected to make the journey home. And so these psalms help us picture life as a sort of pilgrimage. That in the same way as Israel heading home, being far from Jerusalem, but now being summoned back, in the same way we too are on pilgrimage. 
as Christians, we may not be heading geographically back to Jerusalem, but we do have a longing to be home with God, to find our home in Christ. And we're traveling, longing for a deeper relationship with God as he grows that in us. And so these Psalms help us to think about life as a journey and sort of that picture of pilgrimage. There's a soul that's seeking to follow God through the difficulties of life. And so there's 15 Psalms of Ascent, starting at Psalm 120. And they're organized into five groups of three. And the first four groups follow a pattern where the first Psalm will introduce a problem. Here's an issue in life. Here's the, the, the thing the pilgrim is facing that's difficult. And then the second Psalm in the pattern will introduce God's response to that problem. And then the third Psalm in the pattern will, will sort of resolve with a sense of worship and gathering together with God's people that things have been made well. So the first Psalm exposes the problem, and then the second shows the power of God in that problem, and then the third's about sort of security and home in God. And that pattern happens four times in these 15 Psalms. And then finally, you get to the last three Psalms, which is about sort of arriving to worship at long last, arriving in the evening to be in God's presence. And so it starts far from God on journey and ends now arrived safe and sound home in God. And so we have this picture of sort of the journey of the soul seeking to follow God. And for us, this side of the cross, as we seek to follow Jesus and to be united with him at long last. And so today, Psalm 120, I'm going to read it. It's fairly short. Begins with a, a very real problem for the pilgrim and for those who, who would be journeying to Jerusalem. It starts with just being really far from where they hope to be. Far from God, facing trouble, and yet God hears him. So listen to the psalm, Psalm 120. It says, In my distress I called to the Lord, and he answered me. Deliver me, O Lord, from lying lips, from a deceitful tongue. What shall be given to you, and what more shall be done to you, you deceitful tongue? A warrior sharp arrows with glowing coals of the broom tree. Woe to me that I sojourn in Meshech, that I dwell among the tents of Kedar. Too long have I had my dwelling among those who hate peace. I am for peace, but when I speak, they are for war. This is the word of the Lord. Jesus, would you open our hearts today to receive from you that in the places where we uh, feel broken, would you bring your mending and your grace? That where we feel weak, would you be our strength? And Lord, would you transform our hearts by the inspiration of the Spirit, we ask in your name. Amen. Three things I want to point out in this psalm for us. The first is that the writer, the psalmist, is far from home, far from where he wants to be. Look again at verse 5. He says, Woe to me, that I sojourn in Meshech, that I dwell among the tents of Qadar. Well, Meshech is, is far up north, sort of near Turkey, kind of up around uh, the Black Sea, kind of up in that area. And Qadar is really far south, sort of in the Saudi Arabian desert, sort of the Arabian Peninsula. And so what the psalmist is doing is, is basically saying, I'm, I'm about as far from Jerusalem as I could be. I'm, I'm so far up north or I'm so far down south, I'm just, I'm at the extreme of where I could be. 
It's like he's painting this picture of just being truly distant from home. And he's being summoned back. He's happy to go back. It's not like he, he's been put there and he's sort of gone astray. This is just where he is. And he's ready to start coming home. Now, what sort of life has he found far from Jerusalem? Well, it's not, you don't get the sense that it's really uplifting, do you, right? It's not great. Look again at verse 5. Woe to me that I sojourn. Well, sojourning means essentially that he's not a native in the land, right? He's a foreigner. And at the time, foreigners would sometimes not have the same rights as a native citizen. So you could be present in a foreign country. It's not like there's an embassy there where you can kind of stop in and, and be uh, Canadian in this foreign country. No, he's just reliant on the kindness of Gentiles around him. He fears God, but many around him, and you get the sense of this right away, deny God. And they're seeking other gods. And so he's far from home. He's, he's quite lonely in terms of being separate from other people of God. And he's reliant on the kindness and hospitality of others. And we might stop here and just think for a moment. In your life, and if you're a follower of Jesus, you'll I think you, you probably have felt this at some time or another. But regardless, just as a human, I'm sure you've felt this, that at some point in your life you have felt unsettled. That there's been moments in life where you felt things are not all as they should be. Or there's a longing deep down that something, there's something more here than what I currently am experiencing. Perhaps there's a longing in my heart for something. And I don't even know what it is, perhaps. Or perhaps as a Christian, you are well aware that you live in a culture that's far from God. That you live in a culture that would mock God or mock those who would seek to follow God in the life that he calls us to. And you feel that sense that things are not right in this world. Things are not as they should be. That this, this, this world, or perhaps more, more particularly, perhaps in this country, you feel things are not as they should be. And there's a longing for things to be made right. And perhaps we can, we can think of that in political sense, or we can think of that in all sorts of ways. But I think the Bible does well to point us to the fact that we see brokenness and sin around us. And we mourn and grieve the fact that this is not God's intent for us or for his world. And so we feel far from what God would have for things. An unsettledness. An unsettledness in the world, perhaps especially in a culture far from God. So what do you do with that? What do you do with this sense of distance from what things should be? Or this sense of unsettledness in your own life? Or this sense of unsettledness in a culture that uh, would openly mock God? Well, you have a few options, right? You can, you can just sort of say, I'm, gonna, I'm just going to go along with the culture. So I will just, you know, whatever sort of practices are being promoted at the time, I'll, I'll just adopt that same posture. And that's to sort of, just sort of give in to a culture or into the sin around us. Not everything in culture is sinful, but there's certainly brokenness there. To, to enter into it in such a way that we just sort of amalgamate with it. Some, some would say, well, the best response is to just ignore the culture. And ignore the sin and ignore the brokenness and let's just try to escape it. We'll circle the wagons and we won't let the big bad culture come in. And we'll just sort of 
be over here somewhere, away from everything. And others would say, well, we have to fight it. You have to fight that big bad culture. Let's, it, things are not as they should be or not as they were, so let's respond, in, usually in an angry sort of way. All of those are sort of lacking a love that Jesus calls us to when he calls us to witness to the gospel. There's a call that God has on us to remain faithful to him, but then to seek to lovingly share Jesus and share the gospel with others even when we feel far from home, and even when the culture is far from home and very unsettling. And so first, we have the psalm, Far from Jerusalem, unhappy in the world. The issue is not uh, wanting to get away from the physical earth. The issue is is being grieved by the brokenness and sin in in our world. And and deep down, that sense of unsettledness is actually a longing for God's justice to come and, and set things right. And throughout the Bible, there's a real affirmation of that longing for God's justice. Like, that's a good thing. Uh, so long as you don't try to always enact that justice on your own, because you'll probably mess it up, right? It's like, God, we need you to come and set things right, because I, I don't know how to set things right. We long for him to come and deal with sin. So the soul is unsettled, far from Jerusalem, and so often are we as pilgrims as well. And we encounter trouble, and that's the second thing to notice about this passage. Two things that uh, are sort of grieved particularly by the psalmist. Look at what he says here. Again, verse 3. He says, What shall be given to you, and what more shall be done to you, you deceitful tongue? Look at verse 2. He says, Deliver me, O Lord, from lying lips and a deceitful tongue. So the first thing is, is a sort of dishonesty that the psalmist has found. And then look again at verse 7, right at the end. Verse 6 and 7, he says, Too long have I had my dwelling among those who hate peace. I'm for peace, but when they speak, they're for war. So there's two aspects of trouble uh, in being far from Jerusalem that he points out. Lying and fighting. And lying is more than just sort of not telling the truth. It's sort of this aggressive dishonesty or like deception that, that, that the psalmist encounters. Where where there's a, an idea to make something that is evil out to be good. And that's what the enemy of God's people does. He seeks to make sin look pleasurable or fun or seems to make the darkness look light, right? That's part of the enemy's ploy. And likewise, our culture uh, will at times call us to want to live a certain life that's far from God or try to say the life that pursues wealth or status, or influence, uh, or greed will be the good life. And the Christian's called to say no to that and not go along with it. And folks, the world will hate you for not going along with it. Jesus says, in this world you'll have trouble. They'll hate you because they hate me. And so the psalmist says, therefore war, but I'm for peace. And I'm not finding fellow sort of peace lovers over here where I am. And that begs a question for us reading this psalm in our time, is to ask, is my presence a peace-bringing presence or a war-bringing presence? Do I, like those sometimes around me, foster a sense of, of war or disunity or dishonesty? 
or do I, as best as I can, and probably not always very well, but seek to bring God's peace, to bring his gospel presence to bear in our lives, to live out that peace in my marriage or at school or at work, wherever I might find myself planted, that I would bring peace, not war, and what I share online, that I would bring peace. We still share the truth in love, and that will be offensive to people, but we can bring it wrapped in peace and in love, because that's what Jesus does. So the pilgrim is far from home. He's encountering all sorts of trouble, lying and fighting, and yet he longs for God's presence. Notice that he's not He's not bemoaning all the issues and all the brokenness sort of turned away from God. He's dealing with it all in prayer, pointed to God. He brings his own frustrations, his own sadness, and has that sort of play out in conversation with God. It's not like he sort of has to get things right in his life and then he can talk to God about it, right? Instead, he comes bearing his soul with all the brokenness and all of the wounds, and in God's presence, he finds the safe place to deal with that well. And so often, rather than dealing with our own brokenness and our own anger or our own sadness or anxiety or whatever it might be, instead of dealing with that in God's presence and letting God speak into those places, we sort of deal with that with others and maybe lash out with them or deal with it poorly and then have to go to God and, and sort of ask him to kind of come and deal with things that we've made a mess of. Where instead, the psalmist says, Come as you are and bring that to God. Work on that with him. Work that out in his presence. He's longing for God's presence in this place. And we're all aware of issues and brokenness in our own lives. And yet the psalmist, and this is probably the key point for us, in the middle of all of that mess, the psalmist hears from God and God hears him. Look again at the first verse. He says, in my distress, I called to the Lord, and he answered me. In the middle of all this mess, in the middle of feeling far from home, sometimes as believers we can feel far from God, and in those places, rather than turning away, the psalmist invites us, no, come back and seek his face. I called on him, and he answered me. He talks about distress, right? In my distress, I call to the Lord. Distress is like incredible pressure, right? Just incredible. You ever feel like things in life are just sort of, are just pushing in around you and you turn and here's some issue over here that you have to deal with. Okay. And then you kind of turn and oh, here's another thing over here. <laughs> it's just coming at you from all angles. Have you ever seen the original Star Wars? It's like the trash compactor scene, right? Where the heroes are in the trash compactor and the walls start coming in. It's very distressing, like literally, right? And it feels like the pressure is just building, building, building until finally they call out for help and their friends answer them. This is what the psalmist experiences. He, the pressure is mounting and mounting in life and he calls out to God and God's able to respond and answer him. That distress can feel overwhelming. It can feel that we're trapped in it forever. And when it's on and the pressure's on, it feels like time sort of sustains itself, and, and it's longer than it even really is. But God answers us even in those moments. And so you may feel really trapped, or you may feel that you're really alone, or you may feel 
just as we've used as a metaphor, sort of far from God or far from home. But God answers us, folks. He knows where we're at. And he rescues us. You're never so far from God or so lost in sin or so broken that God cannot hear you and cannot heal you. You are never so far that the cross doesn't count for you. And you may feel in the midst of worry or anger or anxiety that you are sort of disqualified from what Jesus has done for you, and that's just not true. That when that pressure mounts, God is still for you. And you're not so far gone that his love uh, somehow doesn't count for you. And so in that distress, the psalmist goes to God. When you're in distress, do you go to God? I pray that you do. That even in a foreign land, he sets his gaze on what he knows is true. You know, in some ways, that's what we do every Sunday. When we come back each Sunday and take this time together to worship and to hear God's word and receive at the table, whatever it might be, to pray for each other, we're, we're reorienting our hearts to point ourselves back to God. Because if you don't do that regularly, what happens? You'll easily just sort of drift off into something, right? Your heart will be oriented in some way. Think of it like... Um, setting the thermostat. Like every Sunday we come back and sort of reset the thermostat of our hearts. Um, I heard someone say once, you, we, don't, we don't just sort of slip into holiness. We have to make intentional choices to pursue God. Um, but we do slip into all sorts of other things, don't we? If we're not intentional, we'll, we'll sort of just kind of go over here. Anyone who's chosen to try and do some sort of exercise routine knows that real well, right? Uh, you have to stick with the thing to do it. Otherwise, you'll probably just slide into something else. And the same is true of following God. The same is true of orienting our hearts. And so we come intentionally, weekly, corporately as a body, but you're also called to come every day to meet with Jesus, to take time to pray and to read his word and to hear from him. Uh, I had a professor in school once just say that as we, uh, that our hearts are like gardens and that when we come daily to talk to the Lord, it's like it's like the hose getting turned on and you get like a little, a little watering done. But every Sunday when we get together as a body, uh, that's like a rain coming. That's like an actual shower showing up and drenching the ground. And uh, we need that in our lives. We need to be reoriented back to God. And I want to think again about that sense of longing. The psalmist has this longing for home. In the same way we can have a longing for a deeper walk with God. I was thinking of St. Augustine, who lived in the 300, 400s AD. He talked about restlessness as well, and he put it this way. He says, you've made us for yourself, O Lord, and our hearts are restless until they find their rest in you. And how true is that? We used to, I remember as a teenager and as a kid, it was a common metaphor in church to talk about there's a God-shaped vacuum in your heart. There's this hole that only God can fill. I always kind of pictured it sort of genie looking, you know, sort of like oblong. <laughs> this, is, this is where God fits. He's sort of jigsawed out like this, right? But the sense is that there's a restlessness in us that longs for the goodness of God that only he can set right. C.S. Lewis talked about it as an inconsolable longing. 
he talked about as a longing for a far country, a country that he'd never been to, but this sense in his heart, there's a longing for more in his life. And he's echoing Hebrews 11. Hebrews 11.6 says, They desire a better country, that is a heavenly one. Therefore God's not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared for them a city. So the Bible tells us that this longing we have in our hearts for things to be made right in ourselves, in our families, in our world, is a longing for God's kingdom to come. And that's not a longing that's just put there frivolously. It's a longing that matches what God has in store for us when he will come to make all things well. There's a, a song recently that really captures this sense. This is a, it's an Andrew Peterson song, and it's called The Sower's Song. And I love how there's this sense of anticipation waiting for God to come. Listen to what he says. He says, so I kneel at the bright edge of the garden, at the golden edge of dawn, at the glowing edge of spring when the winter's edge is gone. And I can see the color green and I can hear the sower song. Abide in me. Let these branches bear you fruit. Abide in me, Lord, as I abide in you. The sense of waiting right on the edge of what God wants for us. Waiting in anticipation of him coming to make all things well. And so like the psalmist and like Israel uh, longing to ascend back to Jerusalem on their way, we also are like pilgrims. Longing for God to come, waiting for him to come, looking for him when he will make all things well. And I hope today that as we as we think about this psalm for ourselves and where you might be in life, take hope in the fact that Jesus has lived this psalm. That Jesus uh, was once in glory with the Father and then chose to humble himself to live far and into the mess and muddle of our lives. That he entered into the Meshech and the Kedar, into the mess and muddle to draw us back to, back to himself. That Jesus left the glory of the Father, humbled himself to the cross, so that we who follow and trust him could know the glory of the Father again. And so Jesus has been, in a sense, far and on pilgrim, where he encountered all the same sort of brokenness and lying and fighting that we experience, and yet brings us back to God. He comes right in the middle of it, so that we may know our true home in him. Wherever you might be today, and maybe, maybe life is feeling really good, and that's awesome. I'm glad for you. There'll be moments, there'll be seasons where life does not feel great. And sometimes if you've, if you've sort of heard a bit of a prosperity gospel teaching, then you'll, you'll think something's wrong with me. I didn't pray enough. I didn't say the right magic word. Something, something's wrong. I'm not living in prosperity. I'm not living in healing. Well, the psalmist gives us permission to realize that walking with God and following Jesus will include hardship. And the sooner we realize that, the healthier our souls will be. Because instead of being sideswiped by the fact that life will be difficult, we can find hope and rest in the assurance that when it is difficult, we can still trust and follow God. In my distress, I call to you. Not when all was well, I call to you. No, in my distress, I call to you. 
And he still hears us in our distress. He still answers when we feel far from home. And he alone is the one who can satisfy our deepest longings for things to be made well, both here in this life and in the life to come. Let's pray to that end, that wherever we are at in sort of the pilgrim journey of life, that we'll remember to call out to him in our distress and know that he points us forward to a life that is deeper and closer in him than any other life we can find. Why don't we stand? Let's pray to that end. Jesus, I want to thank you that uh, you do come and you set us free and you do deliver us from the power of sin and death. And Lord, that that life that we find in you is a beginning of a life. It's not the end, it's the beginning. And at the beginning of any great life and journey and story, we're well aware that we will encounter trouble and brokenness along the way. And so this morning, Lord, as we think and meditate on your word, we recognize that we too live in a place where there's much talk of war, where there's much lying, where there is deceit and brokenness. And Lord, our hearts are grieved when we see this around us, but Lord, we also don't want to be so naive that we don't recognize it's in us as well. Lord, that we contribute to the brokenness in your world. And for that, we repent. And we ask Jesus that you would come and cleanse our hearts by the inspiration of your spirit. Lord, that you would set us free from these areas in our lives where we go back to seek some other God other than you. Lord, I pray that you would uh, enable us with courage to seek you first. And Lord, that when difficulty comes, because we know it will, Jesus, that we would seek you out in that place of distress. Lord, we thank you that you do answer. And there's so many here, Lord, including myself, where there's, we could hear testimonies of the ways in which you have answered in the midst of brokenness. We think of, of people who have been incredibly sick, who have been healed. Lord, we think of those who, who maybe weren't healed in the way we expected, and yet you brought joy and life into that situation and worked your glory in and through that brokenness in a way we could never imagine. So, Lord, we pray today that whatever we may face as individuals, as families, as, as a church, Lord, that you would continue to guide us and keep us, that we would seek you first, that when things are hard, we would not give up in following you, but our hearts would be sort of spurred, Lord, to seek you, uh, to follow you with more, uh, more vigor, more energy, to put you first in our lives. Lord, we just pray this morning for those who are here who are grieving and who are suffering. And Lord, we ask that you would answer in this place of distress with your healing and your grace and your comfort. Lord, we think of the various issues around us in our world, things here at home in Dryden, but also in Canada. Uh, we think of fighting overseas, Lord, the brokenness that we see around us. We ask, Lord, that you would come and set things right, that your kingdom would come, that your justice would reign. Lord, we pray for peace in our time. Lord, we pray for those who do not have a lot, uh, for the poor, Lord, that you would bring hope 
and comfort and rest. Lord, help us to reach out well to those that need to know the truth of your gospel. And we pray today, Jesus, that you would uh, enliven us and refresh us with your Holy Spirit to live for you with joy and with grace, uh, to bring a peace-loving presence wherever we might go. Lord, I want to thank you for each one that's here. And uh, Lord, for those who can't be here, we bless them today. And we think of the other churches in Dryden, Lord, where your name is lifted up. We bless them today, Lord. We thank you that Jordan can be here with us. We pray you'd bless him and his family and their ministry. We thank you for our ACOP family and our leadership team. Lord, would you continue to stir us to seek you first? Lord, would you do what you would do in our hearts and in our churches at this time and help us to be receptive and participants in your good work in this world? Yeah, we thank you, Jesus, and we love you. We ask these things in your name. Amen. Amen. Friends, before you go, receive this benediction. Children of God who are loved and forgiven through our Lord Jesus Christ. May you know the goodness of coming home. May you know the rest of God in the midst of brokenness in our world. And may you know the peace that comes with knowing there is one you can call in your distress who answers in your time of need. With the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Spirit be with you all. Amen. Go in peace to love and serve the Lord. We love you. If anyone would like prayer, we'd love to be able to pray with you here at the front. Otherwise, bless you. We'd love to see you next Sunday. Have a great week.